0: This episode of The Sleeper in the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what if scenarios. Tournaments, fall leagues a redesigned injury system an improved 3d game real-time presentation and game highlights improved player morale and team chemistry and so much more out of the park baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval we all play it and have for years Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, Indie Sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, Just go to otpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I am obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP 17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash PSPOR24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there. Uh letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um for streams yet but i'm going to and i'm actually just gonna gonna start over i i I won the world series that first year with the with the 17 team but i'm gonna start a new one we'll do the draft at some point soon so stay tuned for that but out of the park is is just so much fun you've heard me talk about uh other baseball video games i like it, they're they're two different experiences this is the sim in-depth management sort of deal and then the other game is, is playing so I absolutely love this game one last time OOTPdevelopments.com sleeper 18 is your discount code uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well if you do play the game let me know let me know what you're doing with it let me know what uh, what team you're going with whether you're starting historically or going from now uh, if you do the fantasy draft hit me up on twitter at spora I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out a hundred percent to to history things can change and you can have guys, you know, you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you. So I, I love seeing that stuff. Definitely hit me up there. Um, and, and, and thanks for supporting the show by, by going to dot Hello and welcome to episode 471 of the sleeper in the bust it is tuesday june 20th i'm your host paul spore and i am flying solo and i've got a bunch of different players i'm looking to talk about today there is no unifying theme. we're talking some hitters we're talking some pitchers we're just kind of bouncing around so let's just dive right into it and i'm gonna start with a proclamation jose ramirez of the cleveland indians is a fantasy superstar no, that that is I, I put the fantasy there on purpose. That that is very important within this combo here because a fantasy superstar versus a normal superstar two two vastly different things, right? Uh, a superstar on the field encompasses even more than just their numbers because you're talking about guys that are that are well known um, that you know kind of lead the team, perhaps leaders in the community, all that sort of stuff. Fantasy superstar we're really just talking about the numbers. Like what do they do for your fantasy team? Um, you know, do they qualify at somewhere that, that enhances their, uh, value, things like that. And if you look at it, you know he, he's got uh, Jose Ramirez has third base eligibility, third base outfield coming into the season. He now has 16 games at second base, so he probably have that in most leagues. I think most leagues are only 10 games in season. I really don't think you should be too many more. I know it's 20 to carry it forward, and that's fine. But in season, I lean more on on the liberal side, especially. in this, I, I felt this way before this season, but but especially in today's uh, day and age with the with with the injuries liberal flexibility there you know let's let's try to help teams out a little bit right it's hard out there for guys uh trying to replace injured bats and arms so if you've got a little bit more flexibility obviously that really only applies to bats because you're moving guys around but the the worst thing is you know having to cut a, a talented player because uh because of like positional flexibility i mean th- th- that's tough i'm not saying make it super easy or anything like that i'm just saying when it comes to that discussion i lean more liberal but back to ramirez he is uh third in outfield for sure second base in most leagues and he's been beasting now one of the things i was mentioning before the season started was i didn't really see much of a difference between him and uh and and francisco lindor his teammate And I understood, of course, why Lindor would would go higher because he was a shortstop and shortstop certainly has has more value. I I definitely get that. But if you kind of look at at, at what these two have been doing and I was talking 15 and 16 combined, uh, there just really wasn't that much difference. And then when you really honed in on, on 16 specifically, they were I mean, they were about dead even just looking last year you've got Ramirez with 11 homers, 22 stolen bases, 3.12 batting average, uh, 84 runs, 76 ribbies. Lindor, 15 homers, 19 stolen bases, 3.01 average, 99 runs, 78 ribbies. So, you know, some smaller advantages, some some advantages to Lindor for sure with the with the runs is the big difference there. That the 15 run gap is big. 11 runs of batting average isn't uh, insignificant though uh, on on over 600 plate appearances, so that's that's something there too, and that goes in favor of Ramirez. But the point was was that skills wise, everything they did, as as you know, some power, quality speed, top of the order guys who should accumulate good runs and RBIs, they looked very similar to me, and yet they were going several rounds apart, and I and I think it's time for Ramirez to get his due now. In the light of of Lindor having his batting average struggles this year, th- this is not an anti-Lindor thing. I don't I don't want it taken as such. I I love Francisco Lindor. I think he's amazing, and I'm not really too worried about his 250 batting average. I know there is some concern. You know, he has a 247 BABIP, um, and, and the batting the batted ball profile changes that Lindor has made that that kind of seem to be favoring power. I think they're coming back to get him a little bit and maybe he needs to realize okay okay <laughs> it's fun to hit homers it's great but I'm I'm not a true power hitter let's let's get back to to what works and maybe we'll see uh see that batting average go back up for for Lindor but looking at Ramirez you know he's just kept going where 2016 left off um in fact he's already got 11 homers this year so he's been even better he's, he's part of the home run craze his power has has amped up without losing any batting average in fact with gaining batting average his batting average is up 6 points on the season up to 318 so we've got 11 homers already in 280 plate appearances compared to 618 last year and Ramirez is hitting 318 against 312 he has seven stolen bases already it's 7 for 11 not a great success rate but uh not something that's going to you know get him a total red light by any stretch of the imagination i don't think I don't think Um, they seem to let him run. He's got he's kind of hit and miss on his success rate. And I don't know what the four caught stealings look like at all. So with that small of a sample, there could be some flukiness there. If if you're talking a couple of them that that, you know, could have gone his way. Uh, maybe it was like a replay where he slid off the bag or something. I'm just coming up with with examples, obviously, on the favorable end for him. But all of a sudden, you know, if two if two go the other way, he's an 82% success rate guy instead of a 63%. So I'm just saying let's not go too crazy. Hell, if just one goes his way, if one of the 11 attempts for Jose Ramirez go, uh, in the four cots go his way, and so he's 8 for 11 instead of 7 for 11, you're talking 73%. So the, the break even there. So 7 for 11. Is a bad percentage, 63. That's you know bad, but it's too small to where the Indians would say, oh, "Hey, calm it down on the bases." So I think he's going to get to continue to run, push for 20 mid 20s again. But now the power, the power could be there as well. We're seeing a 243 ISO, We're seeing a lot of power here from Jose Ramirez, without really any change to the bat of all profile, except that he's hitting the ball a lot harder. Um, You know, there's a little uptick in fly ball rate from 36% to 40%. It directly came out of the the ground ball rate. So that that little change there certainly helps. But, I mean, the real difference here is that he's striking the ball a lot better. Jose Ramirez has upped his hard contact rate from 27% to 36%. He has been awesome. And I just don't know that he's he's still getting his proper due um, as – a top flight fantasy player i think i think he's a fantastic fantasy player that uh, is still a little bit hidden he ranks third on espn's player Rater at third base he's um let's see he's fifth at second base and then he's dun, 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 ninth in the outfield that's really impressive right there for jose Ramirez. okay so I just think that you you need to understand what we're looking at here. This is kind of a buildup. He was a former prospect. He he didn't have the same accolades coming up that, that Lindor did. And part of that is the defensive piece, which definitely matters on field, of course. But as long as they're playing him in Cleveland, we're not that concerned with the defense, which I think is more average than, than completely subpar. I'm just saying he's not an elite defender the way Francisco Lindor is. But Jose Ramirez, I think, is a fantasy superstar. He doesn't excel in any single one thing, but he's been awesome. And, you know, let me see. Let me see what he – paces are still dangerous, by the way. It's it's June 20th, right? We're we're in the throes of it. The season is is in full throat. Like, I get all that, but y- y- you still got to be careful not to do paces. But I'm looking right now. I just wanted to see one thing. How would – jose ramirez's pace compared to one mookie Betts from last year and i'm just i'm just i'm just looking okay i'm just looking guys i'm not saying flat out jose ramirez is mookie Betts. so 318 average 27 homers 17 stolen bases that's what ramirez would pace out to 318 27 17 Mookie last year was 318 3126. So still pretty significant advantages and that's even before you get to the 122 runs and the 113 ribbies that Mookie had last year. Ramirez is on pace for 83 ribbies and 107 runs. So it's not quite Mookie level, which is fine, right? Sorry, you're not uh, possibly the the single best, you know, uh, second Well, wait, what, where did he rate last year? Where was where was Mookie top 3? Top 1? i'm looking yeah sorry you're not the single best player in fantasy baseball i just wanted to see where it was tracking it's pretty damn close though right so you're still talking about a guy who's uh, you know pacing toward a top five top 10 season top five for sure but with the power with, with, with everything or top 10 for sure top five maybe with everything that we got going this year um with with the power explosion we'll see in fact he's he's 18th right now so maybe it is unfair to say that he's pacing toward top 10 when he's not even in the top 10 right now and he's playing some of his best ball so um i I will i will i will fall back on that point but the fact of it is even a top 20 season is well beyond where uh where he was being drafted and i'm looking up where jose ramirez is being drafted right now let me take a peek real fast third base i think He was the 10th third baseman off the board at pick 96. So he was a top 100 pick. It's not like he was completely hidden. Folks knew, you know, and there were a lot of people excited to draft him. But Lindor was going 29th, and I know the shortstop piece helped, but it seemed weird to see them that far apart. And again, this is not just a look at Lindor's batting average now comparison. I was comparing the two before the season started. All right, now running over to the completely other end of the spectrum I want to talk a little bit about Franchi Cordero that's right Franchi f-r-a-n-c-h-y that's his name Franchi great name um apparently that's his this his full name too at least according to baseball reference Franchi is not short for anything his name is Franchi and it, I mean it sounds like a southern person talking about Jeff Francourt. did you see what Franchi did who you know Franchi that right fielder all right, sorry, I'm making fun of people, sorry. I'm making fun of fake people. Anyway, Branchy Cordero, 22-year-old pr- prospect for the Padres, is kind of out of his mind uh, when you think about it. You know, 75 plate appearances, so nothing nothing major on the sample size yet, but three homers, three doubles, two triples, uh, so that's, what, eight of his hits going for extra ba- – or eight of his 20 hits going for extra bases – hitting 293 47 on base in 522 slug. Now, I'm not going to sit here and claim I have extensive knowledge about Franchi Cordero. The extent of my knowledge and I I want to say I have this right. Those of you that listen to it as well, you can you can place it. I want to say that the name Franchi Cordero was introduced to me by Jason Parks and Kevin Goldstein on the Up and In podcast that that used to exist now i checked the timeline and they ended in 2012 so it would have been within that that final year which is when franchi was signed at the j2 uh the july 2nd uh deadline i don't know if he was signed in. he might have been signed in 11 and then started up in 2012 as well but either way i think the timeline works uh to have been you know discussed by them And, and and i believe that's where okay here it is. It wasn't on J2. It wasn't in July. It was November 1st, 2011. So again, fits the timeline of where they would have discussed him um, coming over from the Dominican Republic, Franchi Cordero, very young age because he started playing at 17 in the Dominican Summer League and he signed the year before. So yeah, so he was signed as a 16-year-old. So um, that's that's crazy. But that's where I first heard the name. They kind of raved about him. You know, saying okay, this is interesting guy. Obviously, with the with the caveats that you are going to have on any sixteen year old of, we don't really know. But they seem to again. This is my memory. I didn't go back and like try to find the episode where they discussed him. I just that was how that name was always in my head. I was I've always been aware of Franchi Cordero. Now he's never been a top one hundred prospect. I don't even think he really became much of a big prospect for them. And yet here we are. Um, you know, he's 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 coming through with with some numbers right now Now he's 22 years old we're a long way uh down the development path when you when you start that early 22 is a little bit older than a normal 22 year old so yes there is still room to grow but at the same time we're still talking about a guy who has 2100 minor league plate appearances under his belt and never really never really popped now he did have a, a a big showing in uh 190 plate appearances at triple A this year, that's in the PCL. El Paso, I'm not entirely sure how El Paso plays, which is where the which is where the uh, the Padres AAA facility is. I'm actually finding that right now. Hang on. Before we even go too much further on that, I want to look at on Stat Corner, statcorner.com. You click there, triple A, and you find the team, and boom, we see okay, for runs, let's see, Franchi is a lefty batter. For runs. It's a 104 park factor, so a little bit up to the positive. And for home runs, it's 107, so it's inflating a little bit. But then there's all the other parks around there, regardless of, of how – He acquired his numbers for Franchi Cordero in the in AAA. You have to be suspect of PCL numbers like that's just a blanket, no matter what. Even an elite prospect, let alone somebody who was more of a fringe prospect in the in the uh, San Diego system. But he's come up and he's looked really good. Now the one thing, and this is a big thing though, and that's why, you know, this is not a go out and get Franchi Cordero in every one of your leagues. It's more of a okay, let's keep an eye on him. The dude's striking out like crazy, and this kind of fits his his minor league track record. I mean, he's striking out a thirty nine percent clip. He struck out thirty one percent of the time in Triple A, nineteen percent swinging strike rate in Triple A, twenty percent here in the majors. That's going to catch up to you, and of course, you know he's riding a four fifty nine BABIP right now. So the the two ninety average is a total pipe dream. There is just no possible way with that with that limited amount of contact you basically have to sustain a 450 BABIP to have a a plus batting average like this so i'm gonna say no on that but i'm intrigued by the punch and if we're starting to see some power development here uh, he never really showed it anywhere until his stop at triple a this year so okay was it environment but he's seen, we're seeing it in the majors too. Of course, that could be environment, right? We talk about the PCL being a crazy environment, or the Cal League. We talk about the minor league places that are big environments. But I think we have to acknowledge that the major league environment is a is a crazy uh, home run and you know power environment right now. Now, the reason that we don't just automatically say that when a prospect comes up is because it's still a prospect, and so they're adjusting to the major league level. So even though it is a favorable power uh, environment. We don't necessarily like slough it off and say, hey, well he's just hitting up here because power's crazy. I think um I think there there there's a little bit of that, but he's just he's crushing the ball, right? He's hitting it well, he's seeing it well. Teams don't have a game plan on Franchi Cordero yet. I'm a little bit intrigued by this, but again, not to the level where I'm even recommending him really in in mixers outside of those of you that play beyond fifteen teams. I don't I don't even think you've missed a lot of the good stuff on the fifteen team. Uh, you know, if you were in a 15-team mixed league and you needed an offensive bat in the outfield, you just maybe get him. But you missed so much of the good stuff, and now I think we're going to, you know, it's going to smooth out, and, and and the average is going to plummet with that strikeout rate the way it is. Um, but there could be some sneak power for NL-only folks. And and I just wanted to bring him up. I'm keeping an eye on him. I want to see if there can be any development. If he can cut down the strikeouts, where is he at? Like I said, you know, know about him long time ago from a podcast just kind of keeping an eye on him and i just wanted to bring him up so franchi cordero from the padres let's, let's just keep an eye on him. no no, nothing actionable right now uh and i, I apologize for that it's a fantasy baseball podcast y'all want things that you can go make moves on but it's just a little star just keeping an eye out i was impressed by the the initial power surge uh when he jumped into the league speaking of a power surge but one i'm not as impressed by and i'm going to continue to make this guy actually show something for more than than a hot streak mike zanino you're still not fooling me dog you're still not i'm sorry i i I, first off let me just say this if mike zanino improves himself and and becomes a different hitter establishes power brings down the strikeout rate you know can hit 250 with a 10% walk rate, 30% strikeout rate and 25 and something homers. I will say, Hey, he developed. I didn't think he could. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll accept that. I'm not going to say I'll take an L because he's been around now since 2013. And I've never, I've flat out just been completely against him as a quality player this entire time. And that has been correct. I mean, he has a career 202 average and an 83 WRC plus. So I'm not, I wouldn't take an L for the previous, but if he changes to a point where he's quality, I will be glad to jump on board and say, hey, now we have a viable catcher. I don't think we're there yet. Despite this hot run, it's great, right? It's probably the best of his hot runs of which he seems to have one every single year and and this one i mean he's out of his mind he's hitting 406 in his last 18 games with eight homers this is mike Zunino. several multi-hit games one two three four five six seven eight nine ten including uh, a double dong game on monday you know lots, lots of lots of good stuff coming out in these last 18 games but I just don't buy it as any sort of change because he still struck out 25 times in 71 plate appearances. Still has a 35% strikeout rate. He's still a swing and miss champion. What What's the difference, right? What's changed? Is it what 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 pitch has he gotten better on? What alteration has he made to his game? Okay, he's not putting the ball—he's um, uh, not a fly ball guy quite as badly as he's been in the past. Where he's just sold out fifty percent fly balls, it's down to forty-two percent. That, That—that's changed, but a twenty-six percent line drive rate—I don't see that as sustainable. And that's where all of it has gone. All of the lost fly balls have gone into line drives. That in itself, I. I, I acknowledge it's an improvement because okay, instead of just popping it up, you're getting you're getting better contact, right? But 26% line drive, that's not going to hold. So what happens? Even even if he improves to a level that that you know is is better than things that we've seen from him in the past, wh- where 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 is it going to go? What what is that what is that end result? 22% line drive rate. Well, let me see what the highest line drive rates are. Um over over like a season. So let's let's look at 2016. Batted ball. Get to look this up together, y'all. It's fun. Alright, Freddie Freeman maintained a 29%. A handful of guys. Ten guys were at 25% or higher. Okay. So maybe Mike Zanino is going to be one of the ten this year. I don't think so, Tim. I don't. When you have that much swing and miss, everything else has to go perfectly when you do make contact and it leaves no margin for error as evidenced by a, you know, a 380 BABIP driving a 257 batting average. I'm sorry, Mariners fans. I just don't see it. I see you on Twitter talking about this new Mike Zinino. What Where's the new Mike Zanino? What is it? What's different? If I'm missing something, please hit me up on Twitter at Spore. I'll be open to it. I'm open to learning new things. I didn't get to watch the Tigers game yesterday when he hit two homers against the team. I was at softball. I'm going to watch tonight's. I'll watch the rest of the series for sure. I'll zone in on Zanino, and I want to see what's up. But I'm looking at these numbers in the composite here, and I just don't see anything but the perennial Mike Zanino hot streak. If you got something else, bring it. Let's see it. All right, now let's move over to some pitchers. And I'm going to start somewhere that uh, that I've been many a time, many a time this year, and I'm sure we're all getting tired of talking about it, especially me, because I was the one who picked him for the American League Cy Young, so let's all just shut up about that. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, I'll I'll, I'll take my L on, on Masahiro Tanaka, because he's been a nightmare, right? And I, and I was really high on him. I've always been a fan, he looked really healthy in spring, and that's... You know, I don't go hype. I don't get hyped on spring numbers. I tell you guys that all the time, positive or negative. But one thing, the 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 things that are interesting are strikeouts and walks for hitters and pitchers, and health, of course. Right, you're trying to make a health assessment and saying, okay, he looked really healthy, looked really good, commanding his stuff brilliantly. Let's go. What what I was really looking for was pretty much a lot of the same from last year, but with more strikeouts. I just thought his stuff. If if we're going to get a lot of his spring training stuff for Tanaka throughout the year, we're going to get more strikeouts than the 21 percent that he had last year. Maybe closer to the 26 percent from 2014. And you pair a 26 percent strikeout rate with a four to five percent walk rate, um, you bring it down the ERA, probably closer back to the 277 that we saw in 2014. The WHIP could probably be below one at that point. Um, you know, he's at 106.99, 108. You know, I was really just expecting, like, kind of the best parts of his first three years all rolled into one season. and Instead, it's been the absolute worst. He's allowing hits at a 10.9 clip, homers at a 2.5 clip. What? 2.5 homers per nine? That's freaking insane, man. And the worst part, the most frustrating part of the entire thing is you can't, I can't really figure out what's going on. Like there are not enough issues, you know, outwardly shown on the uh, profile that tell me what's wrong or watching when I watch him, obviously. Okay. When you watch him, yes, you can see he's hanging pitches. The sl- the splitter will hang. Um, he'll miss spots. So it's a, it's a command thing. I get that. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe he's just got panetta Maybe Michael Pineda tried to train him in the offseason. Damn it, that's it. I didn't even think about that. The call was coming from inside the whole time. Damn it. Pineda, what did you do, dude? What did you do? Did you freaky Friday Masahiro Tanaka and yourself to where you have some command now? Actually, by the way, not even uh, because as I tried to make clear when everyone said that I'd changed my tune on Michael Pineda, I, because I put him in the must start category. Cause I like when I first updated the pitching rankings, I was like, you have to start him every time. There's no, you can't pick and choose. That's always been the case with him. That's what makes Michael Pineda, Pineda so frustrating. Pineda, 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 Pineda. Am I saying it right? Cause I, I get, I get blasted. So, is it me or Eno who says Pineda? I've always responded to those as if it's me. I think I say Pineda properly. Either way, doesn't matter. It is Pineda. That is, it's Pinata actually. But, um, no, the issue, wow, I lost my train of thought talking about the damn pronunciation. Oh, so I said, yeah, he's a must start. And everyone's like, oh, looks like you changed your team. No, I did not. But when are you going to bench him? He's not, he doesn't have a major home road split. He doesn't, he'll get beat up by a great team, or excuse me, by a terrible team, and he'll thwart, you know, the best team. It, there's no rhyme or reason. That's what makes him so frustrating. There's no platoon split. There's no home road split. Like what the hell uh, are you going to look at to try to sit him? You're going to sit him for two tough starts against Boston and Toronto on the road, and he's going to allow one unearned run in 14 innings with with 22 strikeouts or some crap. And then you're going to sit him or you're, you're going to obviously put him in for a two start at KC and and home to Oakland. And, you know, he's going to go – nine innings 12 runs or some crap like that's that's the Pineda experience in a nutshell anyway Tanaka is there right now though too to where I mean it's at the highest highest level right now like at least Pineda last year was bouncing back and forth he was giving you the good start punch you in the face with the bad one gave you two really good ones pulled the rug out from under you that sort of stuff Tanaka's not even really giving us that he gave us a couple good starts after the dud Uh, to open the season including a shutout at Boston which was nice but then it was right back on the struggle train you know one and two thirds eight runs against Houston six runs three innings at Tampa Bay but then he did get an Oakland start he goes seven in the third one earned 13 strikeouts everyone's like okay that's that's good but it is Oakland and I, I I get why people said that but for me I was like well he wasn't beating anybody so I'm glad that he just went out and had a damn good start Tanaka did but then next very next start at baltimore seven earned five and two-thirds um boston five and five uh the angels was all right six and two-thirds three runs only one of them earned okay but then he goes but then he's out in oakland four innings five runs and you're like bro for real for real so the thing of it is after all this i'm saying all this right now i think i would still buy tanaka First off, he's probably free. I put that in quotes, by the way. Um, well, it could be free because he could be on your waiver wire. So I mean, that would it would I guess it would still be in quotes to say free because you have to use your fab, and that is resources. But even in a trade, what can somebody realistically ask for? Now, something I would someone I would look at for like how this rebounds because we're in the depths of it, and it's hard. To see the rebound when you're in the depths of it and, and, and until you get out and then you can look back. Rewind to mid May. May 14th. First game of a doubleheader in Houston. Or excuse me, in New York. Houston against uh against New York. It wasn't Pineda or or Tanaka. That would have been kind of awesome, just just for the like symmetry of the story. But Houston starts um Mike Fires in that outing. <laughs> You don't want Mike Fiers in in New York. Five and two thirds, four hits, four runs, two homers. Dude was just a home run machine. It was his sixth straight outing of allowing two or more homers. He had a 5.75 ERA. Mike Fiers did with 16 homers allowed. Why is this guy still pitching? You know, you're, you're thinking things like that. But he had 33 strikeouts, 15 walks, 38 hits, and 36 innings. Everything else kind of added up except for like a 30% homer to fly ball rate. And one of the things was Houston kept running him out there, and this was before all their injuries, so you can't just say it was that. I think they understood like, yeah, you're, you're getting clobbered, but it's kind of like it's hard to just, just write it off as bad luck. I'm sure as a team it's even hard to, to do that. But at the same time, you look at it you're like, well, you're missing a few pitches per outing. And so it looks like you suck. But how are you getting through six innings, you know, five, five innings, five and two thirds innings like he had some duds where it was four innings, four and a third. But he actually never went fewer than four within those first uh, seven outings for Mike Fiers. So he was never just getting completely face caved. It was it was. Just the missed pitches here and there. And you're like, well, how the hell is he going to come out of it? Well, they stuck with him. And now look at what he's done over his last six outings 225 ERA, just two homers allowed in 36 innings, 35 hits, 29 strikeouts, 10 walks. I mean, they just kind of waited out that homer to fly ball ratio. And let me see what it's at right now for Fires. I think it's still probably ugly. Yeah, 24%. That that tells you how freaking insane it was before before the run that it's still at 25%. Let me actually get that number. Let me do a little game log here to 514. Select. His homer to five ball rate was 39%. Now, it's not quite at that level for Tanaka. Tanaka's already at the 24%, 25% right now, but it, that's way above his 14, 17, and 12% marks over his last three seasons for Tanaka. So there's wiggle room even to just get back to his career number, which is above league average. Like he is prone to the homer because he will pound the zone with that splitter when he's ahead, or with any of his pitches really, um, when he's ahead not only in the count, but also in the game. And he's gonna hang a few. And and he'll give up so and a lot of times it was solo shots. But now you throw in a few extra walks from uh from a four point five percent walk rate to a six percent. Not you know killer but definitely a change but then the hits of course is massive from 8.1 last year to 10.9 this year so all those homers are turning into uh two and three run shots as opposed to solo shots from back in the day My, my bottom line here is with Tanaka is like unless we get something that says hey he's super hurt and we're throwing him on the DL and they keep running him out there that shows me that that they they see something that says, "Listen, man, you're missing a few pitches per game, and obviously it's really bad and and you know, hurting you and your ERA." But listen, the, he still has a five and seven record. They are still let's see what they are in his starts because that. There's two other decisions, like even if they lost those other two, let's just let's just say, for example, that they lost those other two. They'd be five and nine in his in his games. They're actually six and eight to get to get an accurate result. They're six and eight in his starts. So it's not like they're getting killed every day that he goes out. You know, the offense has to work harder. The bullpen has to work harder. But they're not it's not the end of the world when he goes out there. They're going to keep running him out there. And again, unless he's hurt, he's going to come through this. I don't think he's going to end the season with a 25% home and a fly ball rate. Let's do the same thing we did with the Babbitt piece uh, when we were talking about, who were we talking about? Oh, Zunino, right? Or Franchi. No, we we're talking about Franchi with with his strikeout rate and, uh, and and Babbitt. Let's go look last year. Who was the highest home and a fly ball ratio for a full season, qualified, Jaime Garcia the only guy over 20% next highest was Liriano at at 19% James Shields at 18% uh, along with Josh Tomlin and then uh, bring it full circle Michael Panetta had 17% so you can have a pretty crappy one by the way Tanaka's um, has peaked at 15% or 17% back in 2017 but even still that's still going that's still wiggle room even if that's the only place he goes to that's still wiggle room off of a 25% mark for for uh for Tanaka right now so let's do this real fast that would be just just taking his current fly ball count of 84 and moving him back down to his homer to fly ball ratio uh, his worst one 17% which would be really crappy i told you last year Pineda had a 17% mark and it was the fifth worst in the league that alone would give him back seven homers that just just right there just the regression to his worst season ever for Tanaka would would give him back seven homers let's just say that those are all solo shots let's not even give him credit for anything better than than that that cuts almost a full runoff of his ERA from 634 to 550 now that's not great I'm not saying hey 550 (laughs) now now we're cooking but that's also saying that it's seven solo shots. He, you know, it's not just the home run issue. I will grant that because the the hit rate is through the roof too. He's allowing way too many hits. Uh, but you've seen a three twenty four BABIP is something unlike anything he's ever had either two ninety nine in in 14, 242, and two seventy one. So the homer to fly ball and BABIP in concert are just destroying Tanaka, and it's it is on him. He is making the misses. But there are these catastrophic misses where last year, you know, in and, and the three previous years combined, you could have misses and they just weren't killing him like this. So there is some sequencing here that is really destroying Tanaka. He needs to tighten up some things. I will fully grant that. This is not a Tanaka has been unlucky. He's the best. It is Tanaka is, is struggling with his command, but but he's a tweak off from really, really getting going. And, and you know, hell, even if he runs a 4 ERA the rest of the way for 120 innings, you're going to take that. You're going to take that all day. And I I think he's going to at least do that. I really do. And so... The bottom line is, I would still buy Tanaka. And I know it seems crazy, but this is a buy low. This is what buying low is. I've I've reiterated this point on different players throughout the season, because I get frustrated with buy lows, of guy with with the buy low recommendation of guys who nobody sees as as having an issue. Oh, Corey Seager's uh, OPS is down to eight oh two. Is he a buy low candidate? Yeah, I think so. You know, I would just go out and trade freaking. Franchi Cordero, you know, obviously it doesn't go that far. But I hear things, I read things, and I'm like, that's freaking ridiculous, okay? That's not a buy low. A buy low is is when it stinks, man, when it freaking stinks, and you're actually getting a major discount because the team that has the guy doesn't want anything to do with him and can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I understand that for Tanaka players, why they would be like, no, I'll I'll take – something else let me get something else i don't want him on my team right now i understand it i wouldn't do it i'm holding my shares i'm probably gonna gather one or two more we'll see all right next up is sean newcomb but first paul has to take a drink and it's a solo episode so you have to listen to it i got a straw so it's less noisy when i when i take a drink but um Maybe you still heard it, I don't know. Sean Newcomb came up, had a dazzling debut. And it was awesome. I I watched a few innings of it against the Mets. That curveball was filthy. It was impressive for sure. But I knew what it was gonna do. It was gonna it was gonna have it was gonna have an over the top effect. Um and, and and those that maybe weren't as familiar with with his minor league record, we're like, okay, I know this guy's a top prospect. That's I know the name because he's a top prospect for Atlanta. Big-time pitching prospect. Let's go. First big start. Let's put that fab and go. And I get that every league had to put fab on Sean Newcomb. You have to just in case this, this guy comes up and clicks automatically. But at the same time, I think that there was a disservice done to not acknowledging – the walk issues that this guy had throughout his entire minor league career. Like throughout. So to come up and only walk two guys in his debut was not at all representative of who this guy is. And I think it 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 misled a lot of folks. And then they, so the second start a little bit more of a wake-up call. And it was perfectly fine, by the way. A, a baseline quality start is not the end of the world. Like the environment we're in right now I will take baseline quality starts Six innings, three runs Out of guys, you know Way more often than I would Normally want to, you know uh, Just even last year when home runs were up Let alone two, three years ago When we were kind of in that pitching environment where You know A three eighty ERA, you're like, meh I'll I'll cut that guy, he sucks We're not there anymore, so give me six Give me six innings, three runs, give me that four fifty ERA All day Um, But, but it was with four walks. It was a little bit more representative of who of who Sean Newcomb is. And and there are gonna be these issues. They're 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 gonna be there for sure. And one thing I was really impressed with in that debut outing was that he got ahead, sixty-five percent first pitch strike rate. Like he was zoning, and when and when Newcomb's on, he's gonna have games like that. But he had a forty two excuse me, forty six percent first pitch strike rate. Uh in that second outing, his O swing percentage went from 40% to 32%. Like again, the second start is a lot more representative. There's gonna be ups and downs, but the downs can be really painful. So you're gonna have to be careful here. And I apologize again that this isn't necessarily actionable in terms. Of, I'm not saying cut him. This is not a cut Sean Newcomb everywhere. This is a be careful though this is very much a be careful and heed the 12% walk rate that he already has just after a second start first start solid second start he comes back to earth on the on the walk rate and that's probably where he's gonna live and maybe it is a little bit more of uh, actionable for you folks in 10 and maybe 12 teamers if you see something that like if you if you're pressed for a cut because some some you know, some of your guys are getting healthy or whatever, I'd be okay. Like I, I'm i not completely against it. Blake Snell is, is a good name to remember when you're dealing with Sean Newcomb. Now Blake Snell had 89 innings of a 354 ERA last year, which, and, and 9.9 strikeouts, which if, if you just left it at that, you're like, Hey, I'll take that. And those two things could have helped you, but I guarantee. That a lot of that that benefit was outweighed by the 162 whip that he had, right? Like an ERA can only help you so much at 354, before the 162 whip comes in and, and does you know cancels it all out. And then nine strikeouts per nine yet yeah, certainly helps 98 strikeouts in 89 innings, but the volume isn't necessarily there to completely move the needle. Uh, excuse me, and you probably you know were spotting somebody like Blake Snell, but just. Blake Snell keep that keep him very much in mind when you have with, with Sean Newcomb right now. And don't be afraid. Don't think that you automatically have to hold on to Sean Newcomb at all costs in redraft leagues right now. Uh if something better comes up or if if you, you know if you get a trade where um, it's, a, it's a two for one, but since you have to cut somebody anyway, you're throwing in a second guy and you just say, okay, here, here's Newcomb because you're getting a much better pitcher or whatever, or uh, injury guys, whatever. I just don't want people going too crazy thinking that this guy isn't going to have issues because I think he's going to. And I, I like him long-term, I really do. But um, I'm, I'm very cautious in the short-term about what Sean Newcomb can do for a fantasy team. All right, speaking of that, in, in the same vein, but maybe, I don't know. Let's just dive in. Alex Meyer, same sort of deal. Like, you would talk about walks. He looks at Blake Snell's and Sean Newcomb's walk rates and says, okay, rookies, relax. I've got, I'll take it from here, and I will walk six per nine. Because that's what he's done. In uh, 74 Major League Innings, Alex Meyer, former Minnesota prospect, turned uh la angels retread has walked 6.1 batters in his 74 uh, per nine in his 74 innings that's 50 walks he does have 10.6 strikeouts too and 7.8 hits he's he can be tough to hit but he walks the yard and so even with um, a solid 7.8 hits per nine he still has a 154 whip so you need to be very careful here but he is pitching well of late so i did want to bring him up talk about him you know, we just got done saying how precious pitching is. I can't turn around and say, completely ignore this guy. He has a 235 ERA in his last 38 and a third inning, spanning seven starts with 48 strikeouts, but still 23 walks. So even at his best, which he's pitching his best baseball we've ever seen right now, even at that, he's got a 14% walk rate. And that's even with outings of two, two, and one walks mixed in. Um, he walked two against the Tigers in six and a third, two against the Angels in six, and then just one Royal his last time out in six scoreless innings. But he walked four when he faced Detroit a second time. He walked five Yankees at home in four and two thirds. And the, the big issue I have with these sort of guys is the volatility. Like you can get good outings. He's, he's had several good ones, but when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong often. Just before this this run that Alex Meyer went on, he allowed six inning excuse me six runs and four innings at Seattle with eight hits and three walks. Now he hasn't allowed more than three earned in any of these seven starts because you know they're not hitting him. He's allowed 25 hits, and so the walks haven't been punished. But I just, I, I I have to remain very cautious here with Alex Meyer, because I I think you're gonna you're gonna get yourself hurt if you're not kind of keeping a close eye on on those walks and what they can do. Like there, you know, there is no real change in his game that I can. I don't know. I don't really see a major change here. He's Still fastball curveball. He still throws the ball extremely hard, ninety six miles an hour. He's using more curveballs, and he's kind of he's kind of eschewed the changeup that was never really good to begin with, and so it's a 38% curveball usage, and that's certainly you know that's 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 the put away pitch, and that's what's helping him garner all these strikeouts. It's fastball command is the issue. Um, You know, sometimes people think when or you're not think you just hear like nasty curveball that gets a bunch of strikeouts. Oh, that's the walk issue because he spikes it a bunch and and when they spit on it they draw walks no it's it's the fastball for sure and maybe he's just maybe he's overthrowing and i i I shouldn't say just overthrowing because it's not that simple hey just don't overthrow and uh, you'll cut that walk rate right down to size i mean he has a 24 percent walk rate on the fastball in his career let that sink in 24% just on fastballs like that's really bad. And so he clearly um, has issues spotting it. Now, maybe there is something where if you brought it down to more 93, 95, instead of averaging 96 there, you could have a little bit more command on it, but I don't know what the cascade effect there um, would be. He has a 6.9 hits rate. Alex Meyer does right now for the angels, if he takes a little something off the fastball, are they going to start getting more hits off of it, and kind of cancel out the walk-ins, or 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 would that even yield command? You know, would that would that would that trade-off even work, or would you just sacrifice the velocity for nothing? Um, so I I don't want to pretend that it's that simple because I don't know, and I think if it were the Twins or the Angels probably would have said something to him and say hey i see i've seen this before i'm you know pitching coach whomever i can't think of either team's pitching coach right now and i've been around the game long enough if you just dial it down you're going to get you know some more command and you'll cut that walk rate to 10 percent, which would still be above average but certainly workable now you're talking like um, a right-handed francisco Liriano type of deal Although he's fastball slider, but my my point is, somebody who gets a bunch of whiffs and has success with a high walk rate, but fifteen percent, I I can't I can't see this success maintaining at a fifteen percent walk rate. So I I I almost think the obvious answer, of course, is if you can trade trade right. I I, I do point that out when someone wants to cut somebody. Well, just you know, take anything. But, um, with somebody like Alex Meyer who doesn't have any real equity in the market, I think you could just cut him if you find something, you know, you could just move on before the blow ups come because I think they're coming. I don't think it's I don't think it's if I think it's when. If, you know, with, with, with a 15% walk rate, which he's maintained again, the, the, the walk rate is still through the roof during the, the, during the quality run. It's only 14% during the run. Let me be honest here. I'm sorry. I don't want to skew the numbers. It's 15% on the season, 14% during Alex Myers' last seven. So, you know, if you've gotten some of these good starts here, get rid of that hot potato. I think it's more trouble than it's worth. And he can wash it all away with with one nasty start. the one thing I will say um, you know he did elevate the ground ball rate to a career high forty seven percent he's keeping the ball in the yard something that he had struggled with previously so i I do like that and I like the strikeouts but There are just certain extremes that when you're at them, it's 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 hard to ignore and and it's hard to be successful. Right. When you're an extreme swing and miss guy as a batter, it's hard to be super successful. And when you're an extreme uh, poor control and command guy as a pitcher, it's hard to be successful. So, yeah, Alex Meyer. Brief note on his on his teammate, J.C. Ramirez. He throws really hard, by the way, and I I, I kind of keep forgetting that he throws ninety six. But it reminds me of something that I think is important. Velocity is great, but it's not everything, right? And it this 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 is tangential to Ramirez, but I use Ramirez as a jumping off because I look at his velocity. I'm like, holy hell! Now he has this velocity, and he maintained it coming into the rotation. That's great. One thing I get tired of hearing when there isn't, you know, obvious changes to a pitcher. No new pitch, no new approach that they talked about like moving on the rubber or something like that. People look to the velocity and they say, "Well, his velocity's up." And that's it. They just say that as as that's the reason for success. If that's all it took, then Mike Falteravich would be a freaking monster. And so I think it's a little lazy when if you can't if you can't find something, you know, in, within the pitch mix or, or or anything like that, you either gotta you, you gotta dig deeper or just say you don't know. But if you just say the velocity's up and yet and then and then a, a quick look of that same profile shows that you know, the velocity has had no real effect. Maybe the fastball is just as bad. It's frustrating. Yes, velocity matters. Yes, improving velocity is almost never really a bad thing. But I don't think that it's that alone. You don't just add velocity and get better. And so, yeah, J.C. Ramirez, I kind of used you. I have no real point tied to Ramirez specifically specifically. Just that you know, he's got a 4.59 ERA, but he's throwing 96 out as a starter. He brought he brought his his reliever velocity to the rotation, but he's also still allowing 9.5 hits and 1.5 homers. <laughs> so there's only so much it can do. Velocity is not a magic bullet, and there are countless other guys in addition to Ramirez and Mike Foltynewicz who prove that. So I just you know just be careful. If that's all you got on a guy, you know let's dig deeper. Or, you know It that there doesn't always have to be some like smoking gun as to why you know magic bullet on how on how they got better. So anyway, that that that's just a that's a quick thought on the velocity piece. Um I'll finish talking about Denelson Lamette, who it's been pretty interesting. He's only made what, five starts yeah five starts and he's either been really good or really bad nothing in between first outing five innings one run eight eight strikeouts second outing against the cubs five innings two runs eight strikeouts third outing at arizona three innings nine runs seven of them earned five walks three strikeouts next outing after that kc five innings seven runs and then his most recent outing at Milwaukee, six innings, three runs, twelve strikeouts. So he's been been up and down. Kind of what you would expect from a young pitcher, right? From a young arm, 25, 24 years old. But I think there might be like a little bit, a little something here. He throws 95, which again, it's not the end all be all, but that's where he starts. 95 mile per hour fastball. 86 mile per hour slider, 90 per, 90 mile per hour changeup that he uses 15% of the time. So he has three three distinct legit pitches and um, you know getting the swings and misses which I really like um, it's crazy because he's had more good than bad but the but the two bad starts account for two thirds of his earned runs so he has a 750 ERA but 37 strikeouts in 24 innings let me see what, what the pitches do specifically here so the slider, the slider's the, the 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 pitch, the out pitch. But the fastball is good. So the velocity does matter. Like he got he has twenty five percent strikeout rate with the with the fastball. The problem is, it looks like it's it's either strikeout or bust though, because he's allowing a thirteen thirty OPS off the fastball. So when the fastball is off, he's off. Which I mean, that Dylan who I'm talking about, that that's the case for just about every pitcher in baseball so that's kind of standard pitching right there and so he needs to improve the fastball i can't remember exactly what jeff zerman said in his quick look of lament i'm, I'm taking a look right now yep there it is 95 mile per hour 95 to 98 but straight with the fastball he said he read he read sources that suggested that that the pitch has late life but he never saw it when he watched this was back on May 26th that Jeff wrote this piece so right after that first start against the Mets which was a great start but he didn't really like the uh the fastball and he did acknowledge that there was he, he kind of had a, a a distinct sinker as well that was more 92-96 but didn't have enough run to really be a game changer. So, you know, he raved on the slider um, and not even really raved on it, but he but he spoke positively of it and eh, found the change up to be even below average. That's one start, though. I mean, I'd be interested to see if he would do a follow up and maybe watch one of the duds and another one of the good starts and kind of see where where Lamette is at. I understand why, why folks are picking him up. I think it's going to continue to kind of be the, the, the hit and miss, though. I I, I would be careful. I, w- I don't think I would go for them in 10-teamers yet. That's tough to say, though, because I know that, that some folks just don't have the option of of being, like, picky about about pitching, even in their 10-team because they've been ravaged by injuries. But, uh, yeah, 15-team for sure. That kind of strikeout prowess. 12-team, I I start to get it. 10-team is where I start to... Maybe maybe say no on Dils- Denelson Lomet. I'm gonna keep an eye on him though. I've only watched one outing, and it wasn't even like a sit down and take notes one the way Jeff did on his quick looks. So I am doing a lot of reading other folks and and box score scouting. Fully admit that. So I will watch one of his starts myself and, and and see where he's at. Maybe I'll just wait till his next one out, which is in a couple days, uh, for Denelson Lomet. So. All right, that's going to wrap it up. A little bit all over the map today. Just had a few players I wanted to talk about, kind of sp- spanning, um, you know, studs to duds. Watching uh, Michael Pineda three runs in so far against the Angels. Only one, only one of them earned though. Okay, okay, I have it on mute, obviously. So I don't know everything that happened. That Yankees offense though, man, I tell you what, love that Aaron Hicks is getting playing time and. He's been really good. Castro's been awesome. Judge is just stupid good. Still not a first rounder though. Aaron Judge is not a first round player. I, I no. Not yet. If he goes on to have this MVP season, okay. I still I still have to see how he how he does how he adjusts when the inevitable cold snap hits. He's not gonna go through the season without a cold snap. No one, no one does, right? So, uh, but I'm not trying to rain on the parade. I, I, he's awesome. Saying he's not a first rounder is not raining on the parade. Okay, maybe he's only a second or third rounder. But let's see what he does. Um, he continues to make me look stupid. Everything I say about him, anyway. So this, if you like Aaron Judge, you should be glad that I'm saying I don't know if he's a first rounder, because he's gonna be like. Oh, yeah, nerd, here's five more homers in two at-bats. That's right. He's going to hit five homers in two at-bats. That's how good Aaron Judge has been right now, that he's getting multi-homers in single at-bats. All right, y'all. I'll be back on Thursday with Eno. No Saturday podcast this week. I'm actually going to be out of town um, in San Diego watching the Tigers. Oh, wait, am I going to Nelson Lamette start? Wouldn't that be crazy? Let me see. Who do I get? Hang on, y'all. Let's see. Petco Park, Saturday, Tigers versus the Padres. Come watch. Ah, oh, come on. I gotta watch Annibal Sanchez. That's not even fair. Who did that? Friday is when Lamette pitches against Fulmer. Oh man, I'm not even getting in till Friday evening, though, so I no chance of that game. And then it's Perdomo against Sanchez. I'm kinda I'm kinda in on Perdomo. I like Perdomo. Uh, We talked about Lamette, but Perdomo's somebody I would still keep an eye on, too. Um, I might even rate him a tick above Lamette, even though lamette has got all those strikeouts. I love the the ground ball rate for Perdomo. Um, I I think we're seeing some development this year after kind of sputtering a bit last year. And and his numbers aren't great. 497 ERA is not knocking anybody's socks off. He's still got work to do. Uh, Perdomo still gets blown out. From time to time, he has a he has a handful of duds on his ledger, but again, more good than bad. the The bad start against Arizona was at home. There was a bad one in Arizona. You might have avoided that one if you're kind of spot starting him. I like to look in the in the game logs and see you know where would you have would you have actually missed the duds? I think you're starting him at home all the time, and two of his duds were at home. So if you are kind of playing the matchups with Perdomo. The best you can do is scrape off five runs in four innings and let's see what that would do um that would move his era down to 464 so if you were kind of playing it the way you would um home only uh, or home for sure and then road against bad teams i guess yeah because you well i didn't i didn't just do all i did was take off the arizona start you might have actually lost some good starts, though, if, if you played it that way because you probably wouldn't have started him in Washington. He threw a baseline quality start with six strikeouts. You might not have thrown him in Milwaukee because they're a decent offense in a tough park, and he went six innings, two runs. So I don't know. I, I, like, I like Luis Perdomo, though. I would have him on my roster in a lot of leagues. Still fringe 10-teamer, but then beyond that, I start to look uh, and keep an eye on him. Anyway. That's gonna wrap it up you know and I'll be back on Thursday if you got a topic you guys want us to talk about go ahead and let me know on Twitter at spore that's sporER um, you know if you, anything that you're looking at as if you have like a unifying topic I like when we when we have kind of a set thing but I don't mind I don't mind going all around too so if you have an individual player that's fine you can you can send me that just send me what you'd like to hear us talk about and we'll see if we collect a bunch of it and and, and, and do it that way or if we find a unifying topic we'll we'll figure it out. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Peace.